Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 2 The Battle of Moitura. Episode 5 In a Cathor Cerde. The Four Craftsmen. The Fomora Spy. The battle lines were drawn up. Spear tips glinted in the sunlight, a forest line of readiness, the sharpness of swords behind shields. But he would not stand in that line. He would not share the redness of his own blood in that battle. Ruathorn was not a fighter, but he might have been. Too young, they told him, too slight of form. But he might have been a warrior. He was quick and sharp, sleek as a russet fox. He would grow into strength in full time. Ruathorn was not a king, but he might have been. He was the son of a king. Bresh, his father, had been the golden chosen one of the Dodolan, the enemies who would not share this green land with his father's people. But Bresh's kingship had not lasted. They had cast down his father, laying satires and tales of ill judgment upon him, so that he had slunk back to his father's people. Ruthorn's mother was close kin to the Dagda. Ruthorn's blood would stand him in leaderstead on either side of the battle lines. No, he was not a king, but he might have been. Ruthorn was not a hero, but... He could be so. He was young, was this russet gold boy. Yes, he was still a boy, but he could yet play a hero's part. To be young was not a barring, it seemed. For were not the battle strategies of the enemies led by a boy no older than himself, another golden one of dual blood? The, the son of a Dodonan, Kian, certainly, but it was rumoured that this Lou was the grandson of the battle chief, Balor of the Poisonous Eye himself. No, Ruthen was not a hero, but he might yet be, for his Fomora kin had found his worth at last, had seen his quick secret ways, had watched him move through shadows, fox stealthy, or turn and dodge in verbal combat, lithe as the agile Dovaku dark in the waters. They had weighed his value and given him a new name, one that might bring him renown and herohood. They had named him their spy. We had wondered, they told him, how the warriors injured by our swords in battle always returned to fight against us the next day. We had wondered, they told him, why their spears blunted in battle should be sharp again with the morning sunrise. We have wondered, and you have found out the answer. It is you who have uncovered the secrets of Dean Keg's marvellous well, into which mortally injured warriors can be bathed back to health. It is you who has laid bare the secrets of the Craftsman Forge, where Govnu, Lukta and Kredna form and fix wonderful weapons in lightning quickness. But you too are quick and sharp. You are young, and you are still welcome to either side of your kin. You may go where you will behind the battle lines, but you are our spy. We wish you to return 
And this time we ask of you a hero's deed, a deed of renown. We ask you to kill Govnu in his own forge and with his own fresh-finished spear. So Ruathorn had gone to the forge, this bright red-haired boy, and had watched with seeming curiosity the deft play of forging between Govno's beaten iron tips, looked to shaft shaping, and the bright riveting of Kretna. Give me a spear to hold, the boy asked, feigning wonder at the magic of the making, and laughing the craftsman held out to him an ornate weapon, fresh made and shining sharp as the joining of their skills. And Ruthorn stood, posing a warrior pose, spear held high above his head. He turned to face Govnu, and the smith smiled at the boy's seeming pleasure. Now, thought Ruthorn, now I shall fling the spear. Now I shall kill the smith and end the tyranny of the craftsmanship. Now I shall save my father's people, and then I shall go to the well of Slonya and destroy its power. I will be the hero of valour and renown. The spear flashed bright in the ruddy forge light, flashed as it flew, piercing Govnu's side. The red light flowed like blood. Ruathorn watched in tingling horror as Govnu calmly pulled the spear from his own flesh and lifted it high. Ruthorn stood staring, his body already transfixed, as Govnu aimed the spear at the red blood of his own heart. And now he knew that he would not grow into warriorship, would never become a king, would never receive the champion's portion, would not be the one to win the renown of the well's destruction. He had challenged the skill of the Dodonan craftsman and failed. The red spear flashed in Govnu's hand. It flew towards its resting ruby place. So over the last few weeks, we've been going through the text, well, more or less chronologically, at least doing our best. As far as possible, yeah. Not always easy. But we've been trying to arrange each episode, so we're, we're discussing... It's through the eyes of one particular character. Yeah. Lua de Brecht, Dagda, so forth. So today uh, we're going to discuss the story um, through, not an individual, through the, but uh, as, through a class of characters, uh, specifically the craftsmen. Yeah. Uh, we, we're terming these the four craftsmen and who we're talking about are Dian Kecht, Govnu, Luchta and Kredna Kerr. Now, they have special status, don't they? They're a rather remarkable special group. They are. And the reason why uh, we're talking about the four craftsmen as opposed to the three of Govnu, Luchta and Kredna Kerr, who you'll find as a three elsewhere, we're talking about the four because particularly there's a series of four law texts yeah. um, known as the Bretha Dean Kecht, which are the judgments of Dean Kecht, and then three other texts which are likewise Bretha Govnen, Bretha Luchtna and Bretha Kredna Kerr. So they're important enough to have their own texts. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the only one that we have any fragments of, as far as I'm aware, are the Bretha Dean Kecht, which are the, the judgments of Dean Kecht. And as you might expect from the physician, these are sort of laws and, if you like, uh, guidelines for Doctors. medical medical practitioners. Yeah. yeah, but also for any kind of legal process that involves injury, such as yeah. uthrus, which is sick lying, where if you injure someone, even accidentally, you have to look after them. 
Yeah, so. okay. So therefore, Govnu, what do you think is no sign? What would the law text well, concerning the, him do you think be about? The, the implication is that these are, if you like, law texts or status texts that refer to specific professions. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you have the these four characters standing as the patrons or founders of professions. So Govnu Smithcraft. Exactly. And again, we know from other texts there are... Um, like one of the times when you can't sue for injury is if you're standing in a forge when you've been warned not to. <laughs> <laughs> That's a health and safety. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Health and th- what about? Uh, I mean, look to he's. Uh, he, he's generally um, given as a carpenter yeah. is usually how it's uh, translated because he talks about making spear so shafts. So wear your hard hat on a yeah. building site. Yeah, it's like no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, there are, I mean, there are plenty of legal implications, but then there's also, if you like, professional codes of conduct. Yeah, and also yeah. maybe building regulations. Exactly, yeah. So we have permission. Primitive building, you know, early well, these, build, not primitive, that's yeah. the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Early building regulations. Oh, yeah. And well, these and things were very, very important. Yeah, and they're well, even to this day, there yeah. are all sorts of um, folklore about where to build and where not to yes. build and all sorts of things. And then, of course, Credner. Credner, who is um, usually translated as a brazier. Um, again, it's... It's a little more subtle, that It one, is a it? bit more subtle. In this text, he's described as um, usually making rivets or bosses on a shield. Um, but it seems to be more about using soft metals anyway. And the gold and the silver. And bronze. And, and bronze, yeah. yeah. And the decorating. Exactly, the finishing and decorating. I think that's part of, of what he's about, certainly. Yeah. So that would also be to do with status. It would. And uh, after all, you only have to go into the National Museum in Dublin, the Kildare Street Museum, to see the extraordinary... Um, craftsmanship of metalwork of, mm-hmm. in early Ireland, right from from the Bronze Age, you know, right through to the medieval times, that working particularly with gold and with other soft metals and enamels was a very developed art, mm-hmm. you know. And so it, it's not surprising that there might then be a patron, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the form and of after all, goldsmiths and the guilds of goldsmiths mm. were very senior gold, guilds in. You know, sort of medieval society. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. It's interesting that these should be the four who are seen as central. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They are. They're. They're very much seen as um, the core of what makes the two of the done and what they are. These are their, their their most important technology areas of technology. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting that because this theme of technology, I think, is what we're really talking about. Yeah. The Donnan technology today, mm. and it's there from the very beginning because. When you look at the very opening of the text, mm. and you can go back to the Nuada where we talked about it, if you want, the first uh, episode, um, they're bringing their precious technology with them from yes. these unknown cities mm. of the north. The places of learning. The places yeah. of learning where, as it were, where these things develop from, and they're bringing them with them into their, their new land, yeah. their new way of life. Yeah. And the it's, it's always clear to me that this application of technology is utterly central to the Dodonan, isn't it? They are the yeah. people who make things. Mm. And in a way, the, the four treasures or four jewels that we did talk about in that first episode, um, they're almost the manifestation or, or demonstration of how this technology can be applied in order to make 
a sword that you can't resist once it's been drawn out of its battle sheath or, you know, a spear that never misses its mark. Or iron weapons that stay sharp. Exactly. No, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, we don't know when these stories were first mm. told. Maybe once bronze was seen as the, the, the thing that stayed sharp next to yes. stone. Although, in fact, that's not true because yes. a lot of people went on using uh, stone weapons Absolutely, because yeah. they stayed sharp for the bronze yeah, ones. Yeah. But it just, you get that feeling, these new, these new fangled iron weapons mm, stay mm. sharp you get that feeling about it there's always I get the feeling of these stories settling down at the beginning of the Iron Age but that's just a yeah an impression you get from the story well certainly I I think it can't be disputed that the technologies around metallurgy and metalwork you know are pretty central to this kind of technological advantage and that it was a very sort of seminal moment in the development of any culture mm, was mm. when people start to use metal and how they yeah. use it and what they use it for. Yeah, and it was never um, particularly uh, prolific. It was always hard to get and hard won. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when you look at the amount of processing and the amount of... Uh, human hours or man hours, mm-hmm. whatever you want, that goes into making a single piece. It's really quite staggering. Mm-hmm. You know, between mining the ore, uh, gathering the wood and charcoal in order to smelt it, you know, it's it takes a seriously organised society with very dedicated practitioners in order to make a single yeah, piece Yeah, I was thinking work. about the cauldron, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Douglas cauldron mm-hmm. they bring over with them. Um, you've got... I don't know, this, this, this cauldron that uh, is always abundant. But in some ways, if you were going to apply this same rationalist approach to mm. the treasures, you might get that um, in the same way as new technology allowed weapons to stay sharp, or mm-hmm. tools, let's say, to stay yeah. sharp, that uh, new techniques and approaches to agriculture mm. could almost be like a cauldron of abundance, as it were. The um, Well, yeah, I mean, the... the, the Keeping the land yeah. green and growing and prosperous. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, anyone who has had to sit through lessons on the agricultural revolution in your history classes, mm-hmm. uh, which certainly I had no interest in at the time, but they talk a lot about crop rotation and how this was some yeah. newfangled idea in the 18th I century. I can remember thinking this, that the, the, the mule or the spinning jenny oh, was God. the name of the mule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, there's a a lot of, if you like, knowledge, skill, application, experimentation that goes along with successful agriculture. It might even link into just thinking when we were talking about uh, Arvid in Mm. series one, episode episode four, four, uh, we looked at uh, Dean Keck's shall we say, the original name of his, mm. meaning of his name, could possibly mean eager plough. Exactly, Which yeah. just kind of fit into this health and healing being to yeah. do with the ability to grow good food. Yeah, and have a reliable crop as well. Although I have to say, um, considering that we've been watching the BBC series on the prehistoric autopsy... Which again dates this, really. Well, <laughs> yeah, not dates our story, but dates when we're recording it. Yeah. Um, and, that, you know, talking about the importance of uh, cooking food to having an evolutionary advantage. God, yeah, that, that cooking food <laughs> may have actually changed your brain size. Exactly, yeah, and get, and freed up a lot of time and energy for us to develop other crafts. So that's why people who say, live on the uncooked diet, yeah. actually what they're meaning is, uh, yeah, keep eating uncooked food and you'll use up so many calories. That you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> but does it reduce your brain size? No, I think not. <laughs> 
But anyway, no, I'm not suggesting that this is a story going back, however, no, 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 we're one not. point no, no, blank no, no. million years to Homo erectus. No, that's not what this is. About. No, <laughs> and again, what we're not also saying is, I think that the four craftsmen relate to the four treasures in some obvious one-to-one way. Exactly, and then relate back to the four teachers and the four cities. I'm afraid if you ever tried to draw out a nice little table of correspondence for the Irish You'll system, go mad. it won't work. You'll go After mad. all, look at Robert Graves trying to fit either 20 or 25 OM letters into a 13-month calendar. Yeah. And I'm sorry, the must. Or trying work out. to fit directions into the four cities when they all come from the north. Exactly. Yeah. It's neat, but mm. no, no, I know this stuff's never neat. Yes. Mind you, you were telling me something that I wanted to come back to a mm. moment. You were, I remember you telling me about the meaning, the four cities and their names yeah. and the meanings of them. And you gave me, I remember talking about this when we were discussing Noida. Mm. And I, three of the four cities, as far as I remember, mm. one of them was a place protected by the sea. Yeah, and glorious. one was a, um, a stone place, a stone protected place. Yeah. And a palisaded place. Yeah, yeah. Phalius uh, can be seen as the sort of fenced or palisaded yeah. place. And um, then you have Murius, which could be protected by the sea or by stone. Um, and then the other one, whose name I've forgotten. Gorius, <laughs> Phalius. Um, Gorius is the warm place. Uh, Findius is the fair place. So mm. it's really... Phalius and Murius are the two which have that sense of being either, you know, a fenced enclosure or or a sort of a, an enclosure mm. with earthworks or or the sea around it. But it just struck me in passing that yeah. uh, you do get these feelings. These are the places that people, shall we say, Neolithic mm. peoples or the places that mm. the hill forts were built in and mm. the places where people lived were places that had been lived in and were the type of places that were there even before exactly. these stories were formulated. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, when you're thinking about, like, this is written down, you know, maybe the 8th or maybe the ninth century. And probably um, told for centuries before that. Exactly. And But there were markers in the landscape that had already been there several thousand years. When you're looking at the various cairns um, particularly, um, but also things like yeah. stone circles that, that they had already been there a couple of thousand years, yeah. and so, so there was the sense of the people who'd been there before. Yeah, and they were the people who we have come from them. Yeah, and, and now we have this technology yeah, which, which allows is, us to go on exactly. Uh, that they kept that in a way it's still poetic telling of the four cities. Mm. So here we are being rationalist again, but why shouldn't we be? <laughs> Well, maybe the best way we should go is to sort of follow the track of the craftsman right yes. through the text. Yes. As chronologically as we possibly as can. As we can, yeah, exactly. And maybe fit in some of the passages that up till now that we've actually left we've skipped out. skipped over, yeah. yeah. So we'll start with the first battle. Yeah. Now, what I find, and I've always found interesting mm. in this, is the, the way they go and share technology. They go and look at each other's weapons. Yes. Now, this isn't in our 9th century text, but it is in other tellings of the battle from Lerva Gavala and uh, other sources like that, um, that it's this very ceremonial kind of exchange between the Firbolg and the Tua de Danon. It feels like a very different sort of it meeting, is. doesn't it? It is, and it's it's very much more, I suppose, chivalric, for want of a better term, mm-hmm. that they seem to want to ensure that each side has equal technology, um, a bit like some of the categories in the Paralympics. It's Star Trek-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I say Paralympics, you say Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> 
but uh, you know that that all things being yeah, equal, then you know the better side yeah, shall yeah. win. You know, so um, and again, like I said, that doesn't really appear in our text. But again, the, our text doesn't really give much to the first battle anyway. You know, no, but it does give this very important detail that Nuoto loses his arm. Exactly, that's the salient point. If you like. and that. Um, he gets a silver arm that Dean makes makes for him. Yeah, and Dian with Kecht, the help of Kretna. Exactly. That that Dian Kecht, who's known as the physician, can't do it on his own. It's a combination of technologies. Mm-hmm. And in in terms of it, when you're looking at it as technology, it's more advanced than we are now. In terms of a prosthetic that moves as well as any other hand, which is how it's yeah, described in the text. Very cyborgish. Absolutely, yeah. Although you know, it does remain a blemish. Of course, it, knew it is still he can't. Well, reclaim. it's still an implant, isn't it? Really? Yeah, exactly, exactly. He still has an impairment because he doesn't have an arm. Yeah, and you know, even in modern science fiction, once you've got, well, you're not quite human. When exactly. You've got this part, you know, there are always questions. One of the great questions yeah. in science fiction. Yeah. How does an enhancement or addition? Yeah. Uh, actually change you. Exactly. And of course, you'll go back to the Paralympics on this. Well, which is just... a much more sensible thing than dealing well, no. with science fiction issues. Well, no, I'm, I'm, well, I'm currently trying to write the two together, actually, in, in a piece of fiction, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Later. Later, later. To be dot, dot, dot. later. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, okay. Um, but what's interesting is the, uh, the, one of the four Schelter, the, um, Sons of Turin, which is oh, yeah. really, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Though it comes in a different deck. Yeah, but it, it's still, it's, it's part of the nexus that is Kathmaga mm-hmm. Turin's, um, which, as we were discussing earlier before recording, is very much a, a complex of stories, you know, some of which come into our redaction, but not all of them. And um, part of that is indeed the, the story of the Sons of Turin. Now there you've got it's the latest uh, medieval story, fourteenth yeah. century, but or at least it's written down. Yeah, yeah. Let's always say this. These yeah, but the language is later. The language is later. Yeah. But here you've got the uh Dian Kecht and his son and daughter turning up at the door of Tara yes. and going, Oh, you've got a problem here. Nord has lost his arm and yes. uh, let us in, we're great physicians and the Thorman says, Hey, can you prove it? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, you know, you've lost an eye. Mm-hmm. How about we put your eye back for you? Well, not quite your own <laughs> eye. <laughs> they can't seem to do that. They no. can't. It's very interesting. It's not just magic. That's mm, what I like mm. about it. They can't just replace yeah. an arm. Yeah. They have to use something. There, there are definite things they can't do. It's exactly. very specific. Yeah, yeah. And so he cannot magic up an eye. Yeah. He has to take an actual eye yeah. and put it in the missing eye socket. Yes. Here it's a cat's eye. Exactly. Which then causes the doorkeeper great problems because when he's trying to keep watch during the day and be watchful, the cat's eye is having a doze. But at night when he's trying to get some rest, the cat's eye opens up at the slightest little scratching and follows all these noises around the room. It's a wonderful description. I know. And funny enough, a theme that's gone on in modern science fiction. Yeah. I mean, I can think of several not very good films. Yeah, yeah. Where something similar happens Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they don't make sense, but, no. you know, it's yeah. it's an old story and it's still going yeah. on. We're still wondering what if. Yeah, yeah. You know, isn't there a film where somebody puts in an eye and then starts seeing other people's memories? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't go into the technology. It doesn't work no, anymore. No, no, exactly. No, don't, don't, don't actually try to understand it scientifically. But it's an interesting idea and very specific. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And again, when he comes to, in the Children of Turin story, when he comes to replace Nord at Miak, yes. the son of Dian Kek, says, yeah. look, I can replace the arm. Yeah. And in this case, he doesn't go right, as he does in our text, digs mm. up the old arm. Yeah, or yeah. Finds, goes back and finds the yeah. old arm. Uh, he goes and looks around and goes and makes a model wooden arm. Yeah. 
and to... then goes around saying, um, we will cut off the arm of the man this fits. Yes. There's a bit of a difference to the Cinderella story. A little bit, yeah, yeah. It's quite ghoulish, really. <laughs> and finally, they find a swineherd who has the same size and shape of arm. Yeah. And they take that. Yeah, exactly. They don't but, even ask the swineherd. No, or or the king. That sort of the people say, oh, we would prefer if you took the swineherd's arm, sir. You know, so uh, that, that would be the best, I think, for everyone. <laughs> but the point of it is, again, they need a model. Yeah. Which yeah. I find interesting. Uh, yeah, and that, that gives a nice parallel to the silver arm that Dean Kecht and, and Kredner make, which serves a purpose but doesn't restore the the wholeness hailness of the king yeah oh, interesting enough when um when miak mm. restores the real arm yeah. of the king it's a bit different in our text yeah and it just says um now Norda was being treated and Dean Kate put a silver hand on him which had the movement of any other hand mm. but his son miak did not like that <laughs> he went to the hand and said, so in other words, he, and I know some ways he dug up or went to yeah, the battlefield yeah. and found the hand yeah. in another version. And said, joint to joint of it and sinew to sinew. And he healed it in nine days and nights. The first three days he carried it against his side and it became covered with skin. The second three days he carried it against his chest. The third three days, he would cast white wisps of black bulrushes after they had been blackened on a fire. Um, it's quite difficult to know what that means. Well, um, my translation of that, it's not that different, but that they're the white flowers of black bulrushes mm-hmm. um, that have been oh, they like those fire. fluffy cotton Yeah, things. yeah, exactly. And so my, on bog rushes. Yeah, exactly. So my understanding is that he, he took those white fluffy bits and blackened those in the fire. And Good the, enough, I believe they were used for some sort of, uh, like, softening. They were mm. used like cotton wool. Oh, yeah, yeah. They actually were used, those, yes. those fluffy flowers. Yeah, bog cotton, yeah. Yeah, bog cotton. Yeah. That they actually did have uses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's got some kind of role, I think, in this. But what I find interesting is he doesn't wave a magic wand no. or say magic words. There mm. is a long process to exactly. this. Exactly, and quite physical process and as well. And a sort of pseudo-scientific mm. process. There's some feeling that, uh, you know, it had to involve technology. Yes. Now, we're not pretending yes. or implying that yeah. there were lost magical or lost uh, surgical procedures, yeah. which we now no longer have. Mm. But it just is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Now... The problem was that um, once the arm gets back in the story, mm. there's a problem, isn't there? Once his arm is restored, there is a problem because Dianke's not too happy with it. Yeah, this has again been uh, we've we've talked about this in in great detail when we were looking at Aravid in episode four of the Mythical Women series. But yeah, that the, there seems to be this issue of professional jealousy. Yeah, I remember when we were doing more my tour two thousand. Yes. we asked for various parts of the battle to be to be acted or yeah. told in dance or whatever we did. Yes, and um, the, the people who were doing this area thought this was such a pretty story. We yes. said, no, no, actually, the bit you're portraying is the axe murder. Yeah, exactly. They weren't very happy about <laughs> it. Were they? All these lovely, beautiful, wafty costumes. Yes. Now, actually, what you're going to reenact is an axe murder. Yeah. <laughs> Because in terms of the story, what yeah. actually happens is Dean Kett gets really jealous. Exactly. 
And so he takes an axe to his son's head. Well, I think it's a sword, technically, oh, but sword, axe murderer yeah. sounds oh, better. Okay, sword, sorry. Yeah. I got carried away. Yeah. But again, it's it's quite specific. And we'll, we'll... Hold a sword at the crown of his head. Yeah. yeah. But he does say, you know, the final killing blow, if you like, severs the membrane around the brain. The yeah, it takes three goes, It does, it? it does. And the first, yeah, just... Yeah, read us through. That's right. The, he hurled a sword at the crown of his son's head and cut his skin to the flesh. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and the young man healed it by means of his skill. He struck him again and he cut his flesh until he reached the bone. The young man healed it by the same means. He struck the third blow and reached the membrane of his brain. The young man healed this too by the same means. Then he struck the fourth blow and cut out the brain so that Miek died. Yes. And Dean Cax said that no physician could heal him of that blow. Yeah, yeah. And there's, again, it's very specific. It you is. Can, what you can heal and what you can't heal. Yeah, and this comes up uh, again in our text um, when Dion Kecht is saying what he can do for the battle. He basically says he can heal anything except he can't actually heal a, a, a severing of the meninges, of the, the, the membrane. Uh, he can't uh, heal decapitation and he can't heal mm. severing of the spinal cord. Well, there it says he, oddly enough, that Mia can. can. Yeah, can. He can go one better than his father. Exactly, yeah. He can heal the, 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 the membrane being yeah. split. Yeah. But even he can't heal the removal of a brain. Exactly, which I think essentially stands for decapitation, you know. Right. He so. can't heal the more advanced forms of death. No, exactly. So there is still this very, I suppose, rational or, like you say, pseudoscientific sense that there's only so far that any skill or art can go. Yeah, it's very specific. It's yeah. not magic exactly. in that sense. Although yeah. there are magical elements, it's mm. not, in fact, magic we're talking about. Mm. It's a defined, referenced yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah. And skill technology, set. Skill set with, yeah. with um, specific, yeah. um, what do you call it, things you can do and things you can't limitations. do. It has restrictions and yeah. limitations. Yeah. Now, just for the sake of completeness, mm. when we were looking at Aravid mm-hmm. uh, in um, episode four of first yep. series yep. Uh, there was a lot we came across in terms of their meanings of yep. their names so it could have another way of telling this story absolutely. maybe we ought to just refer to that briefly yeah absolutely that once you start to sort of look at the story as told through their names uh, we mentioned already that Dion Kecht is Kecht is a plough so he's the eager or the diligent plough um, and that Miach is uh, a term for a measure of grain and mm-hmm. usually I think of processed. Now we grain. have mentioned this time that his sister Aravid yeah. is extremely upset about this. Yes. Uh, well, you would be, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, yeah. When when your father kills your brother, you yeah. know, it, it tends to leave one of. And we talked about the horror of kinslaying. Yes, yeah. Which is though this doesn't seem to apply in this case. There is no. Nothing no, happens. there's no, no, there's no repercussions, you know, no legal repercussions on Dean Kecht, because that would usually be, you know, the, almost an unpunishable crime because you can't give anyone reparation because if you like the, uh, the perpetrator, family. yeah, the perpetrator and the, you know, receiver of reparations and are one and the same person. Yeah, and it's kind of taboo to kill your own It's it's the, it's the worst yeah. possible crime. And uh, that's what I find interesting. Mm. But she, anyway, to go go back to it, I mean, she buries her brother yeah. and then from his grave grow 365 herbs yes. which she gathers in her cloak. It's a mm. beautiful image. It is, yeah. And then her father came, comes in his jealousy and sweeps them away. Scatters them all. But it place. didn't strike me till we were talking about it this time that there is no 
fine yeah or no ramifications exactly and we talked about Lou and the children of Turin mm, and the mm. dreadful yeah, fine an ex- that- yeah an excessive fine that he lays on the children of Turin which amount to a death penalty mm-hmm. which of course is really not part of the, the native legal system and um, here there's nothing yeah yeah and again it's it's the only way I think to account for that in uh, you know a set of stories that otherwise really are exemplars of of the legal yeah. system um, is to see it in this way of a meaning. Yeah, that but, we have the the ploughman who cuts down the grain and then you know the Arav- measure of grain which yeah. is miak. Yeah, and, and then, the measure of processed grain. Yeah, which is Aravid going and counting and enumerating the herbs and so on, but that the ploughman's job is also then to to sow and scatter the seed. Yeah, so it has to be cut down. Yeah, and, and that this number of 365 of the herbs is a measure of time, which, of course, is essential as well to the agricultural year. Mm, and so it's like the, this is actually part of the natural cycle exactly. of prosperity and health. Yeah. And it's an interesting way of looking at it. But I think our feeling about this is borne out by the fact that there's no... There's no, no ramifications. No, yeah. no fine yeah. asked for. Exactly. And that Mia... It was really hot on that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And that Mia will um, reappear. Which he does. Yeah. In the story. Yeah. Well, once Dewar has got his arm back, look, we better skip through the next section yeah. where Bresh becomes king and gets thrown out for giving bad judgments and all the rest yeah, of it. Because, we covered that one in previous episodes. Yeah, and the early. craftsmen don't really come into that section. No. When we meet this sense of technology next mm. is when Lou arrives in Tara, what, you know, when, when he's uh, comes to the doorkeeper yeah, yeah. and asks, can I come in, please? And no. what's given there is almost a list of the technology, the skill set of the Dodonans. Yeah, and uh, it's it's very made explicit, you know, no one is allowed into Tara who doesn't possess a, a craft. Mm, a uh, professional. Uh, yeah, yeah. And there are, there are ten that uh, Lou suggests. And they do. They read like a skill set of the Dodonans. They do, yeah. And, it's... And, Oh, let's go through yeah. them. Look, there's the carpenter. Yeah, which is sawyer, which is uh, the, the position that Luchtner has. But as well as, if you like, the sort of spear shaft and shield making in this story, um, sawyer also has that more general term of as being a builder. You yeah, know, yeah, so someone yeah. who creates structures in that way. So, and just think of all the things that the carpenter would have been absolutely yeah. central, or the wood builder, mm. where you're, I mean, you're talking about roads. Yeah, and wheels and vehicles and, you know, the structures for houses After all, well. all the archaeologists ever find a beam slots and exactly uh, post holes yeah yeah you know you're, it's the wood is so central to yeah. every part of this and that's uh, part of Luchta's name as well is that that sense of the material the stuff of everything mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, it's not like the Dagda no the Dagda he uh, may have been a builder but that's not what he's doing no what the Dagda does is he shifts earth around and creates ditches and foundations, foundations yeah whereas looked is about the superstructure yeah it's almost it's like i mean we know how um the that the one on the ancient sites the mm. hill forts loaded places also grew i mean take rath take crook and i yeah 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 um there you've got uh, ancient prehistoric neolithic mm. sites yeah and these later sites have been built on the same exactly. earthworks yeah yeah and it's like the dag that creates shapes of land on yeah. which we find good places to build exactly yeah yeah so again very practical very needed and necessary real skill and then the next one of course is the smith this smith has three new techniques yes but it's not going new which yeah. is kind of curious. They they give this name of Colm Kulinach, which is yeah. 
I don't know. It's I don't think it's a name that pops up anywhere else. Um, the the Cullinuck part might have been suggested by Cullen the Smith of the Cullen stories. Yeah, so um, it's another Smith name. It is, and uh, it's kind of curious because the Cullen and of Cullinuck uh, is the holly tree, mm-hmm. and there is a link which I can't give a good rationale for, which is that in the Ogham alphabet you have the letter Tinna. And the meaning of tinna is is an iron iron ingot or an iron bar, um, but when it's in a, the trio, which is so well known these days, um, that's given uh, the tree holly. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know why it should be. Something comes to the back of my mind, and mm. I'm not standing by this yeah. because I haven't gone and looked it up, and I, I hadn't planned to look it up. Mm. Was that I mean, woods burn in different ways, yeah. and holly is a very slow growing hard wood. I know mm, that very dense. Yeah, uh, it's possible that it burns very hot. Yeah, and so I, for... I don't remember. This is from the back of my head. So if anyone out there is familiar with historical, you know, smelting oh. and particularly charcoaling techniques, if if there's anything to that, yeah. we'd love to hear. But that's just, I, I don't know I'm why that connection's remember. there, but it is. It is there, yeah. But I think what's important in our text is that whoever this smith is, he has three new techniques. Yeah. And that's what's distinctive about him. So they're just going to have to go out doing, you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> We've not got, just got a smith. Yeah. We have one with the latest techniques. Exactly. Latest technology. Absolutely. And then the next one is the strong man who is Ogre. Three in there, yeah. Uh, but he's seems to be where you need labourers, don't you? Well, exactly. And in fact, we do meet Alkma elsewhere in the story carrying firewood. Yeah, although he is this great Gaulish figure yeah. uh, who has this wonderful you know, sunny face and yeah, so forth. Yeah. Whenever we meet him here, he's, yeah. he's labouring. Yeah, he's, he's shifting heavy things, picking up the heavy thing and then putting them down somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So. The next one is interesting because it's the harper. Yeah. Now, um, with technology here? Well, uh, the harpist is the only musician in old, early Irish society who can be a free man, Thor, uh, or sorry, not Thor, Thor, um, who can be a free man. Other musicians are Thor, which is unfree. Mm-hmm. Um, so the harpist clearly has a special status. A high status. Yeah. And it is connected with the various roles of, of poets of the philid. And um, I mean, the harp, it's, it's, also associated maybe with, if you like, um, politics mm-hmm. in terms of the harp would have probably accompanied poems and that would include both praise and satire. Praise and satire. It, yeah, yeah. And the recording and encoding yeah. of the political state of things. Yeah, exactly. And transmitting that then yeah, as so well. It's a bit like having your newsreader on the television yeah. being accompanied by a harp. Exactly. And unless they're accompanied by a harp, it doesn't It's not count. news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, oh, yeah. Interesting, yeah, yeah. Now, of course, the harp has now become this great symbol of Irish uh, sovereignty and mm, national and, independence and of independence. Yeah, and as I think I've said before, but I will say it again because it's so damned interesting. I think the O'Reilly, who was um, one of the uh, leaders of the 1916 Rising, uh-huh. um, he wrote an article for uh, I think it was the Nation a few years before the Rising, about a proposed national flag. And he was proposing two flags, one being the national flag, being uh, the Dagda's golden harp with Mm. nine silver Mm. strings on the green background of the Mm. field Mm. from the Oak of Two Meadows, from the Therval Blau. Which we talked about in the last episode. Yeah, but he he proposed another uh, flag for the volunteers, which would have then become the National Army, um, with um, a golden sunrise of Lou with nine golden rays on a blue background of the sky. He proposed that as a flag for the volunteers. A bit more interesting than the 
tree colour. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But again, you know, the harp is still our national seal. Yeah. It's it's on our uh, currency, our and presidential seal. If you ask anyone for mm. a symbol of Ireland, yeah. they'll almost certainly give you the harp. Exactly. The so, Irish harp. So, you know, on, on, in terms of the social context of when our story was being read and, and heard, um, the harp would have always had, uh, any harpist would have status considerable it's the status. technology of communicating news yeah. and uh, relevant information yeah 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 i, I can see that mm. the next one is fairly obvious i think the warrior the fighter yeah i, I think that's just acts as a exactly mia is the term given here you know and again it's it's part of you know you can go back to de Maisel's three functions if you like mm-hmm. you know that there is a class within the society who are you know there's sort of nobility on the one hand but they also do have this job to protect the territory they right? stand slightly outside yeah, exactly. But after all, so much technology refers to arming and uh, keeping them. Well, I mean, that's still how most technological advances are made, are through military mm. investment, you know. Oh, certainly the uh, military technology is constantly mentioned in this text. Oh, yeah, it's most definitely. Central. Yeah, but I think it's central to most societies, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't just the People way want is. to kill each other in new and interesting ways. Well, the next one I really like, mm. because he's actually referred to not just as poet but poet and historian yeah exactly Phila and Shenicha are they're they're almost like two aspects of the one profession now here I see it's um data compilation he's the computer of the yeah of an oral society random access memory I think is what we decided on when we were discussing the Maureen and her role as a poet Mm. so yeah you know that poetry and history should go together like Mm -hmm. that is very much about the importance of retaining and retelling a tradition mm-hmm. and how you know it's it will literally prevent you reinventing the wheel mm-hmm. and it's absolutely essential yeah and uh central and essential yeah to an oral society yeah so it's not just what we think of yeah as poetry yeah <laughs> or, um, or even what we think of as history <laughs> <laughs> oh come on <laughs> Uh, well, then the next one is Sorcerer. Yeah. Um, does her mention that there's loads of them anyway? I know, exactly. It's like, oh, well, I have great magical powers. And instead of the doorkeeper saying, well, we already have one and their name is this and this is what they do, he goes, oh, we've loads of them. <laughs> so it's almost dismissive, I think. It's almost going, yeah, oh, for goodness sake, that's not what we need. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> that certainly gives that impression yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, then you have the, the medic, the doctor. Yeah. And that's named the Incaict. And, mm. you know, so that's clearly, again, an essential skill within mm-hmm. that community. Now, the cupbearers, that's often one which is a bit obscure to yeah. modern readers. Yeah, and which we discussed a bit last mm. time, I think, uh, in terms of what they then offer to do in the battle, which mm. is, on the one hand, to control slash disguise all the rivers and lakes of mm. Ireland, and on the other hand, to essentially withhold drink, you know, bring a great... We're not talking thirst. about servants and service. No, we're not. And, in fact, it's it's here with the doorkeeper that those um, cupbearers are named the nine of them are named and i think i I spoke of that Mm -hmm. before as well in terms of what their names mean and that they're part of you know like the the first few with with, when you have the drucht and um i can't remember the other word right now but light and dew which is part of oath taking Mm -hmm. you know so there's there's a ceremonial aspect to it there's uh, another three of the names that all refer to birth and parturition Mm -hmm. you know but again when we're talking about technologies it could be the people who 
keep water fresh. Well, yeah, the importance know? of clean water for exactly. health. Exactly, is, uh, is crucial, absolutely mm-hmm. crucial. And that hiding the waters, mm-hmm. and hide is not just about thirst, but no. it's also about... Um, it's about disease Disease well. and sanitation. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there does seem to be an understanding of mm. the need for clean water. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder whether they have something to do with this. But yeah. And after all, we know about the importance of the wells yeah. and that the poisoning of the wells is yeah. the most... It's, again, is the point, it's, it's, it's one of the most appalling things that you can do. Yeah, yeah. And indeed, you know... Was when, it one of the only things that could bring about a death penalty? I'm not sure, to be honest that with you. That may just be another yeah. myth. I can't remember. Yeah, but, I'm not you know, sure, but... One of those things we think we know. I just don't mm, remember. Mm. But I know it's absolutely essential. Yeah. And again, when you're talking about that sort of very practical application, you know, the need to, to be able to bathe with clean water. And yeah, we have those, the middle three cupbearers, which are all about the process of giving birth. Mm-hmm. You know, where, what's the first thing that you hear? Send for hot water. Hot water and, and clean towels. towels. Yeah. <laughs> Not the first thing I was thinking about. To no, be no, I'm sure. Mind <laughs> um, you, it's all done for you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and the last one is brazier. Yes. The, so Credna comes in here at the end. You know, again, as this part of their core society I think, needs. I think it's about ornamentation yeah. and decoration and the importance that this has, the status, mm, because mm. it gives status. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and like I say, just have a look at the yeah, stuff that's everything in the we know museum. shows that the mm. importance of the you know, the talks the yeah. necklace, you know the, the bracelets mm. the the uh, the decoration the lock rings the all of lock it rings. yeah is just so clearly that your status was defined by mm. the, these signs of or these um uh, obviously displays of wealth mm, mm, were, yeah. were not a minor issue yeah but also that you know there there was a real flair for creativity Oh, you yeah. know, among the craftspeople and all, all these wonderful details such as, you know, the, the invisible parts of a brooch or, or yeah. some other piece of jewellery. The parts that would never be seen are still worked and decorated, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't have kind of shabby glue-stained undersides, you know. <laughs> They're a complete piece and there's clearly, you know, great pride in, in how they're made. I mean, I love the lock rings because for one thing they are uh, pretty much unique to Ireland as far mm-hmm. as I know these mm-hmm. are Bronze Age and uh, they're made out of kind of welded gold wires and the wires are three to a millimetre oh god the, the, the Bronze Age gold from Ireland is outstanding it's staggering you yeah. know so is it any wonder then that you know the worker of soft metals Credna um, has such High a honour. role High yeah. honour. Anyway, when Lou gets in, yeah. as we've heard, yeah. but when he's tested, what's interesting, he isn't tested in any of the skills that we've mentioned. Yeah, but again, he does sort of trick his way in because he hasn't offered a new skill. No, he, he has nothing that... Hasn't... He's nothing new to offer, you know. But maybe, I, I don't know, maybe his strength is about connecting the skills together. Mm. It comes to me that he's brought in as a strategist. He knows how yeah. to bring these skills together. And I think that's um, represented by his his skill at fiddle. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's And Lou's enclosure mm. might be that sort of connecting of... Uh, in other words, he can skills. play Only Connect and put together all in one. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no dolphins on Only Connect. No, there aren't, are there? No. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Anyway, the... <laughs> Oh, never mind you. you get the images you throw into my head sometimes. Um, what I don't get is the flagstone. It sort mm. of doesn't, you know, when Ogma throws the flagstone and Lou throws it back, yeah. and it doesn't really fit that that 
quality doesn't have that quality does it well it, maybe the flagstone doesn't fit because it's got a great bit bigger wall stuck <laughs> to it you <laughs> well, know that's the so. point. it's more comedy than strategy <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's very visual you know yeah and imaginable. i think that's what it's about really mm. because it, it would make you know if you were seeing this in its cinematic terms mm. it would make a great bit in the screenplay you yeah. know a bit of action yeah after a very load load of uh, talking 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 yeah. playing fiddle you know it's, the, the boys are starting to drop off at this point so you need to wake them up by throwing some stones around and after all remember that these were stories that were meant to be told oh yeah and you've got to have good bits of action yeah. and comedy involved mm-hmm. so here we are I love this bit with the flagstone goes yeah. through the wall Lou fits it back very cartoon like yeah 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 but it isn't quite the same quality as um, as being tested at Fihil or, or the three strains of music that he then has to play on the harp as well yeah yeah that that fits with mm. can he can he read the news yeah 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 and uh, can he actually decide mm. what they should do and and sway people's hearts I think that's part of what those three strains are about as well as you're absolutely yeah. right I'm sure he's not just read the news that was a joke well no I mean it's <laughs> it's more like can he can he be a good orator can he do an, a Barack Obama you know and, and <laughs> just sweep people up you know yeah yeah <laughs> In the fervor. Well, as we go on, we meet mm-hmm. the two musters, and again, yes. we hear these skill lists. Now, exactly. we talked a lot about the first one mm. last uh, in the last episode yeah, about, about the, the Douglas muster. Yeah, I, I prefer to call it. Yeah, um, whether Lou is there or not. Mm. And, I don't think he is. I, no. That's why I tend to think of it as the Dagda's yeah, master. But yeah. the second one is definitely Lou's master. Absolutely. But once again, when he's back, you get all these lists of technology again. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is an even longer list. We're not going to go through this one one at a time. It really is a bit much, I think. And uh, our listeners will start to nod off. There's yeah, 12, I don't know. <laughs> there's 12 different if skills. Really snoring, yeah. Yeah, uh, listed. But... More than half of them. I think we counted... We counted about seven seven. or twelve that in some way related to technological skills. Exactly. And these practical skills of the kind that that Lewis is questioned about when he comes to Well, you managed... You you mentioned Dean Kecht earlier on as having very specific limitations. And I think here he actually lists what he can and cannot do. Exactly. This is where he says, oh, I can cure anything except for decapitation, uh, meningeal hemorrhage and spinal severance, but I can cure everything else overnight. But we also have, when Gaudenu is, uh, I think he's one of the first Mm -hmm. uh, to say what he will do. And he's talking about, you know, being able to repair weapons overnight and and that they'll be, you know, sharpened, that they'll never lose their edge and so on. But he does also say that any spear that he makes or any spear tip that he makes, it will never miss its mark and every wound it deals will be fatal. Ah, maybe this is why the Fofferer do that really strange thing is they send their spy back to yeah. his suicide mission. Yeah. Because it is Poor a suicide mission. Yeah. He's been set up again. I know. That... Oh, he's so proud of being mm. a spy for his people. Yeah. And then he gets landed with the first thing they give him is a suicide mission. Yeah. Go and kill Govner in his own forge with his own spears yeah. with Luckner and Kredner and Crone watching. Yes, yeah, yeah. Right, and then get away. Mm. Mm. Very unlikely. But it, if in this case he has to use one of Govner's own spears, yeah. that spear cannot miss and will always be fatal. Yeah, but it isn't. Exactly. But that's because Govnu is the one who made it. But also, you know, that Govnu has access to the healing well. I think it is specified that Govnu went to the well and was healed. And Ruadon is denied that. Because the well's been destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, that's a tragedy, isn't it? It is a bit, yeah. Um, But... Let's go back to the list. Yes. We'll come back to come back to Ruathorn a bit yeah. later because I really like him. And I feel very <laughs> sorry for him. Yeah. Um 
even the magic users in mm. the second list lose, use more technological Well, a bit more approaches. practical. You know, we were talking about the cupbearers that, you know, in the first muster they talk about being able to, you know, uh, command the chief lakes and rivers of Ireland. In this one they say they'll they'll bring a thirst on the Fovera. You know, so again, it's it's sort it's of coming down to a more practical. It is, yeah, and about what you will actually do to your enemy on the battlefield. Yeah. And know? then there was that weird one. I mean, there's loads more. Mm. You know, that are about making the best possible weapons. And yes. So forth. But yeah. what is there? The uh, glove, uh, glove, the glove deacon. Yeah. Now this is Carbro McAdena, who's the the poet who made the satire on Bresh right mm. back at the beginning, and um, yeah, what he says he'll do as a poet is this Glove Deacon, which is a form of satire, but it's it's kind of at the extreme end of what you can do in terms of a satire. Now, from what I understand of it, because it is described in some of the status texts and uh, the texts on poetry, I think it might be in one of the Breath of Nevid texts, um, that a Glove Deacon is a form of satire that, if you like, the poets of one to us can make against another to so us. So it's like an international exactly. satire. Yeah, exactly. Has, I know it's not international yeah, between but countries, it, between... But effectively, you know. Yeah. So, um, but it requires, because it's of this sort of slightly extra level, as well as the usual procedures of satire, it does actually include making a little model of the person you're satiring. The satirizing. Like the king of the other tribe. Or yeah, or... yeah. And then sticking black thorns into it. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. But that's it's described in all seriousness in these laws. It's like, like with one country sort of yeah. um, getting effigies of yeah. uh, a political leader on the other side yeah, and yeah. burning them in effigy. Oh yeah, but that's what people do. And after yeah, all, they still do. I I'm mean, thinking. look look at the the hoo-haw that that's caused every time someone burns an American flag. You know. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so there's still elements of it today. Yeah. No, I just had um, images of Romney sticking. <laughs> image of Obama and Stephen yeah, yeah. Kinsley. Actually, that would be Donald Trump, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would have been. He'd, he'd do it, too. <laughs> From what I've been hearing on the yeah, news this yeah. last few weeks. Yeah. Oh, I, we shouldn't really say that. That's... Well, you know, that, yeah. Well, truth is a, the perfect defence against slander, of course. <laughs> yeah, it would, make, it would make some sort of great uh, game on television, wouldn't you, with, with politicians sticking pins in each other. You know? Well, or yeah. Blackthorn saying it, and everybody, sh- all their supporters shouting for them. Yeah, well, the, the, there's a couple of satirists who have done such things. Uh, the robot chicken in oh, one of yeah. their Star Wars had uh, George W. believing himself to be a Jedi. Uh, so... <laughs> Will get so, the in other words, so, there is still a sort of uh, implied comedy belief in this sort of sympathetic magic yeah, nowadays. I mean, it's not just a comedy belief, though. I mean, if you if you think about the whole business of you know, swearing an oath in court, you know, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, insert deity here. Um, yeah. There is still this sense that we have around the law, especially, that it is this kind of, you know, slightly supernatural binding upon us, you know, that, that's part voluntary and part involuntary. Yeah. And, you know, again, particularly when it comes to, if you, you like... Feel it on all the television programs. Oh yeah, how it has this slightly magical, this power, this power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also the kind of power that we give to people in authority and all those other kinds of things. You know, it's. You think there's elements of sympathetic magic still there? I do, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, the, these are you know, the, if you like, these are the ancient structures of society. Yeah. Um, again, in evolutionary terms, being social animals is clearly a big advantage to us. And so, you know, there there are these intangible yeah. parts of what yeah. make us human because you've got. The these codified, mm. very sort of structured laws yeah. in this 
you know, early law systems, oh, yeah. which are absolutely fantastic. Mm. And I suppose being slightly rationalist, you know, mm. one doesn't want to, you go, oh, we can explain that this is, you know, after mm. all, this is what it meant. It isn't really a belief in magic. Yeah. Actually, no, yeah. they believed in magic. Well, also, I mean, for, for all of the early Irish law systems, you know, fairness and emphasis on reparation will happen and what have you, they still have, you know, laws that are supposed to protect against, you know, foul-mouthed women and blacksmiths magic and, and so on. And werewolves, indeed, I think. There's one against female werewolves, specifically. Oh, right. Um, but yeah, werewolves seem to be uh, an do, Irish yeah, invention, yeah. even though they were probably Gerald of Wales. Yes. Geraldus Cambrensis. Yeah, who was very anti-Irish. Oh, no, I haven't pronounced that right. Never mind. Cambrensis. Cambrensis, but, yeah. Um, I suddenly heard myself saying it wrong. That's okay. But as well as that, I mean, the, there is still room for trial by ordeal in mm-hmm. some of the Irish law texts, you know, which which is a, a magical thing. It's basically when there's mm-hmm. no physical evidence one way or another and when, you know, there isn't an, an overriding oath that will, you know, yeah. confirm So although it. I want to be, you know, we, mm. we do enjoy talking about this rather excellent early mm. Irish law system. Which is all terribly fair and just and what have you. Uh, yeah, it's still, don't, we're not trying to suggest it wasn't rife with uh, all sorts of magical practices. Yeah. and. Um, well, and things that were perfectly acceptable as part of, if you like, reality. Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. But I just love society. this image of the, uh, you know, oh, we want to have a go at the local war chief, so we'll stick black horns. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see him stand there, ha ha, yeah. boy, gotcha. <laughs> you people are rubbish. <laughs> basically it's just because nice it has to go along with the words of course you know oh yes the yeah. words are important so yeah. i just was interested yeah. in how much genuine magic belief mm. there was and how much was an expression of uh, yeah. the law well in a way you know that law of deacon which carbra is is proposing is it you can almost see it as a little bit more practical than what some of the others are promising in terms of you know oh we will shower fire down upon the faces and of the enemy up their urine yeah oh, my, but i don't know it's just it's just fun to look at yeah um but the 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 really important thing when they're getting ready for the battle mm. is that the making and repair of the weapons and the yeah. healing of the warriors mm. absolutely integral to the narrative of the actual battle, aren't they? It is. And in a way, you know, um, from the thread that we're following now, that's how the battle is won. You know, that like the what bat- happens behind the lines. Exactly, yeah. You know, that, that it's more about, you know, that what, the skills, the resources, both the people and the technologies that they have at their mm. disposal that gives them, you know, the this, this advantage. In fact, sometimes I think it's more time spent on talking about, um, you know, how in deciding how the outcome is going to go mm. than actually in who's hitting whom. Certainly in our text, yeah. You know, but not, not only that, but also that these elements, you know, because we have very firmly put Dian Keacht as one of the craftspeople alongside Govnu Lukta and Kredna. Um, and there's every evidence for that in the text. Exactly, exactly. That any time you have an episode that involves some of those, you you have the others as well. Mm-hmm. So in the, the, I think, the next piece that we're going mm-hmm. to look at, you have both the description of what happens at the forge and the description of what happens at the well you know that they're very intertwined you know so they're Mm. they're kind of they are part of the same story in that sense Mm. and interesting that when we get to the actual battle and behind the battle lines which is Mm. where the battle begins yeah we know that the battle lines are there they're all busy going out they're skirmishing hitting each other and people are getting injured and killed Mm. at this point so the battle is going on Mm. but behind the lines there's a real contrast to the first battle because there they've got equality of weapons and it's yeah and that's ensured yeah 
But behind the lines here, you've got stuff going on. First, you've got Dean Kecht at the well. Yes. And he's got his two sons. Yes. And Miak is back. Exactly. Miak is one of those sons. Not thrill, so. isn't it? Uh, oh, oh, thrill, yeah. Oh, thrill, yeah. Yeah, it's the other one. And Aravid is there. Aravid's there. Yeah. And they're, they're at the well and they've got this brilliant well. Yeah. Absolutely amazing place, you know. And if you dip warriors into this well mm -hmm. as long as they haven't had their head chopped off yeah. or their spine shattered yeah they get out of it um really feeling a bit better yeah and it, it does sort of say overnight you know that yeah. this is an overnight thing basically they can cure anything within a day yeah. but it does it calls it the well slanya which is just a word for health, health really you know or healthy um no slanya is yeah that would be an abstract noun mm. so yeah that's sort of wellness i suppose mm. that's why for... we called this we were going to talk about the well of wellness yes yes well well yeah. well of wellness well, well, well of wellness yes um so sonia is a, well i suppose wholeness actually is a more literal mm. translation and that's very much what the well does but it also talks about that there were herbs used mm. in it and it gives another name sort of toward the end of this episode it said it was also called Loch Live, which just means the the lake of herbs mm -hmm. because of the healing herbs that Dean mm. Kept put into so it. So you've got an exaggeration again mm. of um, a healing environment. Yeah yeah. It's like this is their hospital. Exactly yeah which has this uh, supply of clean water and it has a good supply of herbs it has the good pool. Triage, good yeah, triage. And the pooled knowledge if you'll forgive the pun yeah. of two generations of professional healers so again that might somewhat account for Mia's sudden you know suddenly getting better from this un uncurable dead. ill I got better yeah <laughs> turn me into a newt but uh you know the fact that Mia is there it's that almost his practices you mm -hmm. know which mm -hmm. seem to be those sort of very much surgical ones um in terms of reattaching mm -hmm. Noda's arm and so on so that his practices are there along with those of so you've got this level of medical technology mm. and this magical gloss all bound mm. up together, which is good storytelling. Exactly, yeah. Um, mind you, I don't think they had a well uh, or a lake mm. like the one I found in or, or was in in Australia in uh, Stradbrook Island where that that's used as a women's lake where oh, yeah. it was a birthing lake for oh, the wonderful. Aboriginal peoples but it was full of tea tree oil because oh, the tea wow. tree trees grew yes. all around it and you were bathing in this wonderful brown liquid that had you coming out feeling fantastic yeah so well, there's a the magical lake of healing well again I think we talked about this before and we were talking about you know healing holy wells mm -hmm. around the country and how some of them particularly that one in Glenmagel down in County Kerry, mm -hmm. um, does have high levels of lithium and it was supposed to be mm. a cure for madness. Oh, by the way, I'm not suggesting that you're going to find tea tree oil lakes around here oh, in Ireland. <laughs> oh, no, that's such pity. Yeah. The same way we don't really have hot springs. Which no, I that would be about. nice, wouldn't yeah. it? But we do have... Um, yeah, very, very cold springs. <laughs> <laughs> and then... What were the rest of the craftsmen doing? Well, they were busy in the forge, aren't yes. they? Yeah. You've got um, Lukter and uh, Kredna and, and Govnu. Oh, boy, were they having fun. Oh, yeah. Look, I'd better read that bit because Do. I can't remember it. It's worth having word for word. It is a bit. Here we are, here in section 122. Just picture this. This is what was happening in, in the forge. Govnu the smith was in the smithy making swords and spears and javelins. He would make those weapons with three strokes. Then look to the carpenter would make the spear shafts in three chippings and the third chipping was a finish and would set them in the sockets of the spear. After the spearheads were in the side of the forge, he would throw the sockets with their shafts and it was not necessary to set them again. 
then Credner the Brazier would make the rivets with three strokes and he would throw the sockets of the spears at them and it was not necessary to drill holes in them. And they stayed together this way. Yeah. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Can you picture it? Oh, absolutely. I can almost see it as a juggling routine. Yeah, it goes, one, two, three, throw, one, two, three, wee, one, two, three, boom. Yeah. And there's the spears standing in the corner. Yeah. It's just the work <laughs> rhythm of it. And exactly, it's, yeah. And the images, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like one, two, three, you know, they're juggling, you know. Yeah, throwing I, them all over the place. You know, not, not hi, having ho, to, hi, ho. Or ho, hi, if you're being Wagner. Yeah, it is more vague than Disney, I suppose. I hope so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's even the, the day you've got this great, this old uh, children's song. Oh, yeah, the Ding the... Dong Dedderow is, is one of these. I've had to do it over and over again for a colloquially on the show a few years back. But, yeah, it's sort of Ding Dong Dedderow, Booleahoyga, which, again... You it's know, the rhythm of the forge. It's the Ding Dong Dedderow is the whole... Yeah, yeah it's all about and the yeah, rhythm. It's and... this one, two, three, which is... Yeah. That just reminded me of the Yantan Tetherer. Yeah. Which again is that rhythm of counting to three, mm, mm. and but you've got this wonderful comic image, mm. uh, make a wonderful sort of set piece, right? You can just imagine the scene. Look, it just needs to be choreographed. Oh, you know, House of the Flying Dagger style, yeah, you yeah. Know, with all sorts of this wonderful flying like, around, flying around up in the air, throwing. And wouldn't have a sto- wouldn't an audience for storytelling have loved that? Bit? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just one of those other action bits mm. between all the exposition. Yeah, yeah. And they were good at better at visualisation. Mm. It's, it's one of those pieces with all the special effects Exactly, in. yeah. Well, leaving this behind Wagner and Disney, hopefully, um, the Fomora have a problem on mm. their hands. They have, um, you're going, well, hang on. Him over there, that one with the shield. I killed him yesterday. <laughs> well, at least I knocked him down. Yeah. And uh, he's back again. Mm. And, you know, how come... All their spears stay mm. sharp and we have to resharpen now. Look, yeah. this is not fair. Something's going on. Mm. So they send a spy, mm. uh, Ruadon. Yes. Oh, poor Ruadon. Poor Ruadon. Oh, I always feel sorry for him. Look, we talked about Ruadon, didn't we, in episode, what was it? Episode five of the first series when we were looking at Brig and Bridget and so on. And we looked at this story from Brig's point of view. Yeah. But this time we're looking at more from Ruadon's, I well, think. Well, that's why I chose him, because he's mm. the one for the story at the beginning, because he really interacts with the craftsman, yeah. especially in this central and important piece. Yeah. Um, but I really feel sorry for him, because not only is he chosen as a spy, mm. he's kind of set up. I think we need to talk a bit more about him. Yeah, we do. I mean, he, he could be... He's not some random guy. He's not He's not a random mug by any means. And, you know, he, he's the son of Bresh, who is a king, so... He could have been eligible for kingship. Absolutely. In some ways, more eligible than look, you know, because, uh, you know, despite all this talk about uh, democracy in early Ireland... Um, you still needed to be, you know, a son or grandson of a king in order to be eligible you for need kingship. You to be of the right status level. Exactly, yeah. You needed to have the right family lineage, you know. And then there was a choice between a few candidates, you know. But in terms of it wasn't a question of just anybody could stand. Mm. You know, you had to have that relationship. So in many ways, you know, um, Ruldan is better qualified than Logs. Well, he's, is. in fact, more than half the Donnan, isn't he? Yeah, he's three quarters if you want to get technical about it. Yeah, Because I mean, Bresh is half and half. He's half. Yeah. yeah, and then Brig is supposed to be fully Dedanan, so yeah, he's he's even more Dedanan mm. than Log is, you know. And of course, yes, that's right, with a mother who is that close, not yeah. Brig, she's the daughter of the Dagda here. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah. wonderful, yeah, wonderful and precious lineage. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are so many children of 
dual parentage, yeah. what I called earlier the children of half blood dalliance. Yes, yeah. I mean, you've got Elitha and Eru, who meet to make Bresh, yeah. You've got uh, Ethlu and Kian, who meet to make Loch, yeah. And now you've got uh, Bresh, Bresh and, and Brig, Brig, and they're the parentage of, of Ruadon. So, unusually in criticism, it's Bresh and Loch who are compared and contrasted, if you like. But in some ways, you know, Ruadon has to fit into that picture as well. And he could be the most overlooked character yeah. in this tale. And then, of course, they send him on a suicide mission. Well, yeah. It I, fathers people. Yeah, a bit, and, a bit like Elitha did to Bresh. Except, you know, like I say, they might have assumed that, you know, any spear made by Govnu would kill whoever it yeah, hit. Yeah, but how's he going to get out alive? I know. Because he's surrounded by other exactly, people. He's yeah. supposed to do this in full. Yeah. And then go off and destroy the well as well. Yeah, not going to happen. It just, you know, they, you feel as though, yeah, they want to kill Govnu. Govnu. Yeah. But it's a suicide mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mind you, he's an interesting character because he has all these um, symbolic qualities as well. Ruadon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's from his name, which is, you know, from Ruad, which is um, the colour of dried blood, technically speaking. But it's the word that we use when we're talking about someone with red hair, for example. Mm-hmm. That You wouldn't say Derek, which is blood red. You'd say Ruad, which is dried blood. And uh, this is interesting because this connection with the red hair mm. and the forge, yeah. this turns up not just in these texts, but in other places it as well. It does, across Europe, yeah. Um, but, I believe it was the Romans mm. who said that uh, that the urine of the red-headed boy, boy yeah. would help to temper steel. Yes. Or turn... They, I mean, they knew it didn't, but there mm. was this old legend that yeah. said the red-headed boy in the forge. Mm, mm. Um, and he does come up again and again, you know. Uh, the, there are also, in terms of Ruadon, who's, you know, if you like, this dried blood or red-headed boy and then crone who's doing this kind of blood red yeah we haven't really mentioned here no her in this one no we did talk about her again with brig she, she this is her only appearance once again um far as i can make out crone is another another kind of color word um and it's another one of the reds mm. and it is a blood red very often the red of enamel that, mm. that wonderful mm. red enamel that and she, she is the fourth person in the forge yeah. she's not one of the crafts no she's finishing it's, it it describes in the text that she's grinding the spear point mm-hmm. um now there's a little gloss in there about that because she was the last one and then she gives the spear to ruadon and so it's given to him by his maternal kin and this is obviously something very bad but that i think is slightly sort of just appended onto the story mm. But this whole business of finishing the blade with something blood red. Now, it could be enamel, but then there are are also tales of... Um, tempering through blood, isn't it? Tempering iron, particularly when you temper iron with blood. You know, the way you, just put, you plunge it into cold yeah. water at the end. If you plunge that into a bucket of blood instead, now, it has to be said, usually animal blood, mm. um, then it, it basically the carbon that's in the blood as an organic material uh, infuses with the iron and it's it's your basic way of making steel that mm-hmm. it's a carbon strengthened iron it might iron. connect in these uh, spears that mm. had to be dipped in blood that had to you know which in the end gets taken as uh, have to be used to wound someone yes. unless they're covered oh exactly I yeah. wondered whether this is in fact a sort of yeah. half forgotten reference to the fact that the last thing you did before you used it was yes. to dip it in blood yeah. when it was made exactly I don't know these yeah. are just ideas but again the red head mm. the red haired boy yeah and, and his role in the forge mind you I mean these are things that are they're a bit difficult for us to penetrate I mean that you 
do get the feeling that there are, you know, trade secrets or professional secrets mm -hmm. that are encoded within these stories, you know, that again would have, you know, spoken a language to someone of that profession. You know, mm -hmm. Smith would have understood why it was a red-haired boy and why, you know, Crone was the one finishing and, and what, we just what those three strokes meant. Do you know what I mean? That is, uh, someone within that profession, within that guild or whatever... It's like the encoding of poetry, isn't it? It's the trade secrets. It yeah. is. And, you know, it's all... It's almost similar as well to, you know, a secret organisation such as the Masons, you know, who started off as a trades guild. Mm. Let's, There's let's one or two that. other reven re reven resonances <laughs> in this story. Mm. There's one thing, I mean, he throws the spirit Govnu yeah. and wounds him. Mm. Now, there are plenty of wounded smiths. Mm. The lame smith is quite familiar. Mm. Um, Waylon in the Saxon, but mm. obviously Vulcan and yeah. so forth. Though here, what I, I don't connect that up because he's actually, it is mentioned, well, it is not mentioned at all where he's wounded. Yeah. And there's so many specific mm. references to so-and-so was wounded in the thigh or yeah. so-and-so was wounded in, in the, the leg foot, or, or yeah. the foot and the head. Yeah. And the, but here it doesn't mention it at all, mm. which is why I just had him wounded in the side because yes. that's generic yeah. and often appears. But um, also, he, he doesn't kind of suffer from that wound. No, he gets healed immediately. Exactly, yeah. So it's it's not kind of characteristic to him, if you like. You know, he's not a wounded smith. He he got a bit hurt and then he got better. So it's not, yeah. So yeah. that's why it isn't a wounding in the, mm. the leg yeah. or a thigh. Yeah. Um, another resonance is the fact that he's killed by a spear cast of Govnu, mm. which reminds me of the story of uh, the Welsh flu. Yes. Who, um, when... It's a long story, and we'll put oh, a link God, yes. to the the Mabinogi site. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Lou um, kills his rival for the hand of his wife, mm. and this is too long a story for me to go into yeah. now. But there's a long procedure by which he has to go through, mm. um, which he's standing in a bath, half dressed. Yeah, and in other words, it is almost impossible to kill him, except yeah. unless you meet a lot of almost impossible exactly. circumstances. Like it's a million to one chance, but it might just work. Yeah, exactly. Sort of stuff. Yeah. And uh, how his rival gets to hear about this, he and the rival and the wife set mm. up all of this, and finally Lou is still not killed. Exactly, he's he's mortally wounded, but manages to, to recover from it. And turns into an eagle. Yeah, yeah. And when he's brought back, he kills his rival mm. by making him do the same exactly the thing. Same thing. Yeah. But the rival says, look, can I hold the millstone between me mm. and the spear? And he goes, all right. Yeah. But the spear still kills him. Yeah, yeah. And it just has a resonance between this story and the killing of... Uh, of Gual. Of, yeah, the killing of Gual mm. and the killing of uh, Ruthorn in the by yeah. Gothlu in the forge. There's just a feeling that it's, it's a connected story. Yeah, well, th there's an even closer connection, though, because um, in that story of Hlo in, in the Welsh, um, Hlo has a twin brother when he's born, the first one born, who is thrown into the sea and, uh, you know, takes himself to the sea, and that's Dylan. Um, that's right. If we go back to the story, and mm. again, we would suggest you go and look at the whole story because yeah. we keep referring to bits of exactly. the Welsh stories. Yeah. But Arian Rod, his yes. mother, has two mm. babies. Yes. And the first takes the sea and his nature is of the sea and yeah. he becomes Dylan of the Wave. Yes. And but, so, sometimes called a dolphin, I think, isn't he? Some, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's connected with dolphins. Mm. But... It's the same in the birth of Flu. Uh, sorry, not Flu. <laughs> the Flu. Yeah, the Irish Lou. The yeah. Irish Lou. Yeah. And uh, 
he, when he's born, it's suggested that he's one of, to Ethlyn, it's mm. suggested he's one of three babies, mm. and the first two are dropped into the yeah, sea. Yeah, yeah, so he's got two missing twins, There as it were. is, of course, another version where all Ethlyn's serving maids... Yes, all hundred of them. All serve, yeah. as it were. Yes. <laughs> and um, they all bear children, mm. which are all... Turn into seals. The sea and turn into seals. Yeah. So there is this very strong mm. connection with these two stories. But what really seals it for me is that uh, Dylan, when he's finally killed, is killed by Gavanan, which is the, uh, by a spear thrown by Gavanan. It is close, yeah, isn't it? and that's a direct cognate with Goivnu in our yeah. text. So here we have the twin of lost twin of Lou. the lost twin of Lou, yeah, being killed mm. by a spear. Mm. Uh, in the in the forge of Govnu, which is Gavanan. Yeah. Uh, could he be the lost twin of Lou? I, there's definitely something lost about him. You know, he, his position in this tale is too kind of tantalisingly central to be incidental, you know. Yeah. Could it have been... I mean, these are all what-ifs, we have of no course. clue. But could <laughs> it have been him coming to Tara? We talked about last time, or, or, or two episodes ago mm. we talked about that, that um, Lou was possibly he was such a, a shining foreigner such yeah. a shining celebrity mm. that he just got everywhere yeah it yeah. still is yeah I mean he became so central and so much loved that he had to take the lead role in every story yeah, yeah. but is there a way we could see that originally it was Ruathorn the lost twin mm. who was the tarnister mm. possibly that, that again we don't even have Lowe's birth story within our text, within the Cath Megatherith. So, you know, there may be another strand to this tale which involves, you know, Lowe's mm. brothers. Yeah, I mean, it's still, we can't just replace yeah. it because it, then you'd have to have Lou and Ruthor. Yeah, yeah. And he still ends up getting killed. Exactly, yeah. As yeah, but there's, the Welsh Lou's brother does. Yeah, there, there's, there's some... There's some bit missing. missing strands, you mm. know, and, and it is, it's interesting to speculate about. Poor Ruthorn. I know. Gets, he, and then, and then, yeah. at the end of the story, yeah. he can't even get healed. killed by the well. Yeah, yeah. Because I haven't said what mm. happens to the well. We haven't told this part no, of the story. No, no, and this is quite an important bit. Right. Well, of course, he's Ruthorn, actually, um, he doesn't die in the forge. He goes back to his father's people yeah, he, and dies there, but yeah. that's not so cinematically effective. No. So we have him dying in the forge. It yeah. just looks good. And then, of course, his mother's, well, more than upset. Yeah, she, she invents Keening. Now, again, I think in, in this context and the way that it's described, um, the kind of Keening that she invents is this kind of non-verbal, you know, ululation. Yeah. Um, you know, just this, this wailing and sobbing and, you know, hissing and so on, that it's it's not a verbal lament. Yeah. And we, we said when we were talking about Briggs that mm. the nearest, nearest we could actually find to this pre-Celtic goddess mm. is... The Banshee. Yes, pre-Christian yeah. goddess, I should have said. Yeah, yeah. Pre-Christian goddess is the Banshee. Yeah. Mind you, she's got a really good reason to keen from her. I know, she? yeah. He's not only been you know, killed See, outright. Once he's killed, mm -hmm. the Fomora go, well, we're still going to get rid of the well. Yeah. And they send another spy, but this time another, not around, another another important person. Yeah. They send, uh, what's his name? Ochtralach. Who is almost the same name as Ochtral, who is one of the, who's the, the suddenly now appearing for the first time, other yeah. brother of Mia 
car of it. So you've got sitting there by Octreol on one side and Octreol Octreol on, on the, the other side. Well, they send Octreolach, who is said to be in the Magdalene's son, so son of the king. Yeah, of the Bobber. They send him to destroy the well, and what he does is he gets a load of his friends, and mm. they all take big stones from the river Drows, and they secretly go up to the well during the night, mm. and they pile the stones over the top, so mm. it becomes a huge cairn. Yes. And uh, it's said that this is Heapstown Cairns yeah. this day. The word, the, this is still known about. It's still yeah. there. And believe it or not, this was once the biggest cairn in the whole of Ireland outside the Boyne Valley. Yeah. It was massive. It's yeah. still big enough. Mm. But it, more, more than that, uh, you know, historical drawings show that it, it even had, you know, at least one pillar stone. Possibly two. Yeah, stood right on top. And so these yeah. were known to have um, markings yeah, on them. Yeah. You can still see the curbstones around yes. it, but mo- an awful lot of the stone has been taken away and used for yes, buildings for over yeah. the centuries. Yeah. But these um, figured stones were mm. last referred to in 1937 in mm. the folklore survey the yeah. Uh, yeah, folklore commission yeah the, the school survey yeah. which is something we ought to talk about another time mm. and uh, so they had completely buried the well it was no use anymore mm. so the Dodonan couldn't start healing yeah. their warriors and they couldn't heal Ruan. nobody could heal Ruan, Ruan. yeah yeah well again you, you sort of have to wonder you know did the Fovera just sort of send him off to his doom you know um did they even bother with thinking about whether he could be healed or not but it was too late because the well was destroyed yeah yeah and uh so they could have taken and dipped him in before they destroyed the mm. well but they didn't and that's why his mother had a very good reason to yeah clean. yeah yeah come to think of it, it it was one of the central moments in our portrayal of the battle of moitura in 2000 yes yeah. and that moment when briggs stood alone on the field was a moment of silence oh it was extraordinary yes in... and watching the other warriors go to be healed but not her son yeah you know that was yeah. You know that her son could not be brought back. Mm. No, it, it it certainly once again it shows up the, the dramatic cinematic quality of yeah. the story. It's the storyteller's view, which mm. is always paramount. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's really the end of the track of the craftsman in the text. Through the text, yeah. I mean, the battle goes on, of course, mm. uh, but that's the way the battle has worked for them. Is, yeah. is behind the battle lines. Yeah, we'll be counting the cost of the battle next time. Who's mm. killed? Who's named and numbered? There's yeah. an awful lot of aftermath. Yeah. Um, but what happens to the craftsmen? Well, it might be the end of this story, but they are really persistent throughout Irish tradition. Um, although any time you sort of go back looking for the stories, it seems to come back around again mm-hmm. to Moitura, to this story nexus each time. What about Dinshanicus mentions? There's a couple of them, but, you know, not direct stories of these characters. Um, for example, in the Dinshanicus on Cash Corran, which is mm-hmm. just up the road from us here in County Sligo, Corran is said to be, I think, the harpist of Gaivnu or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, there's a reference in one of the poems on Tara to a mound of Kredna, mm-hmm. you know, Credna Kerrit. Loads of stories about Kesh Karan, so I'm yeah. not surprised that yeah. uh, other characters get, and it's very close to my tour, of mm. course. Yeah, so we, but we don't exactly get, you know, stories of their deeds, if you like, but we do get things like the, the references to those four law texts, the Breath yeah. of Dane Chaos and Breath of Governor and so on, kind of gives their, shows their importance. Just how central they were. Yeah, and particularly, if you like, to members of, prof- of a profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only that, I mean, there are other curious texts um, such as a single page leaf that mm-hmm. was um, 
sort of found in the St. Gall Monastery, which I think is over in Switzerland. Um, but it was torn out of some other book with a, a portrait, a plate picture of St. Matthew on one side and on, on the other side are these four charms or incantations mm-hmm. against various forms of illness. So there's one which is about how to get a thorn out and talks about how you have to rub butter around it but not on the thorn. And quite sensible, really. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so for getting the thorn out, part of the incantation that you had to make was to Goifnu. Yeah. You know, presumably because he is the pointy one. You know, the yeah. whole origin of his name with Gub being a beak, you know, the point and the spear point. Yeah, that yeah. obviously that's related to the point of the thorn, I think. Yeah. And so the, people the, would get the point, wouldn't they? Oh, yes. And then they'd miss the point. <laughs> um, and but another one of those charms, and now I can be correct on this, I think it's the one against urinary tract infections, um, which if you like invokes the skills of mm. DNK. So even in medieval times they were mm. still being referenced in, yeah. in charms and So so yeah, so they were obviously, you know, a living part of a tradition. Mm-hmm. But we don't get the sort of the myths around them that we would get around like the Dagda, for example, who pops up everywhere. You know, so that but it was clearly a large part yeah. of ongoing tradition and then of course uh, you know this constant reference to the healing well it's yeah. very very much part of Irish society right yeah. into the present absolutely yeah. and the the healing well every well having its own ability mm. like um, the something one, very specific yeah yeah like uh, backache or yeah being good at football yeah yeah which seems to be one of the real things for a well in Sligo it's yeah, supposed yeah. to make you good at football yes and the local well is supposed to uh, you know cure backache yeah yeah great story we'll have to come to the story I think we mentioned last we time. did yes in la- yeah yes we did when we talked about Bridget yeah um but th- apart from that they they don't seem to you know they they, they don't seem to have other stories mm. in fact it seems as though Motor is about the most important source story you can have. I think so, yeah. For for all of these figures who clearly were very dear and very important to the people in all kinds of areas of their lives, but this is the only place where we kind of meet them as characters. And folk tales mm. always refer back. You can see how they refer yeah. back to Moitura. Yeah. So if we go over that, well, look, look, Lukta and Kretna pretty yeah. much disappear apart from the... We've got no mention of Lukta, but no. you've got that one dinch yeah, yeah. mention of Kretna. Yeah. Now, Govnu, I do know, he was supposed to have had a forge on Schlievenarium, which is a mountain just yes. up the road from here. But that's not surprising, mm. since the Tour de Donne are supposed to have landed in their cloud. Yes. However much the redactors say, impossible. Yeah. <laughs> there is a legend that yeah. they came in their cloud ships, and then Govnu set up his forge. And of course, it's Schlievenarium, which the is the mountain. iron mountain. And in fact, there was iron mining going on there right up until the 18th century. Yeah, but again, far back into antiquity. So of course, oh, you know, if there was an old site of iron there, then it must be Govnu's forge. Actually, McGovern, mm. son of the Smith, is yeah. still a very common surname, particularly in this area. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is really a local surname. Yeah, McGovern is, is one of the big family names, always. Yeah, uh, which really just means Smith. It's another version. Yeah, another version would be McGowan as another yeah. John Smith. Yes, or Shane McGowan. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, Smith is always to collect huge amounts of folklore and myths. Yes, yeah. And, and you know, the, the role of a smith within society and so on. I mean, we talked earlier about, um, you know, 
what did I say earlier about how there was a legal you uh, did, exemption? About, um, you don't don't blame us if you get injured in a fall. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you when when you've been warned there's dangerous work happening, you know, don't come crying to us when you get a splinter in your eye. Yeah. You know. So, but there's also then those it, weird things <coughs> about oh, protect me from the magic of the blacksmith. You yeah. Know? It's interesting if you think back to that we mentioned it I think last week that lovely song um, you know the two magicians. Oh, hello, yes. hello, yeah, yeah. hello, you cold blacksmith. Yeah. You have done me no harm. You've never you taken my maiden head that I kept so long. <laughs> no, that'll do. That's enough. Still I span for one week. Yeah. Uh, but nevertheless, this the yeah. idea that smiths carry a magic and mm. they almost have this, uh, they're almost synonymous with magic. Yeah. Which, again, if you go back to the, you know, can you imagine witnessing the smelting of a metal ore for the first mm-hmm. time? When this was a new technology. Oh, the casting of a sword in stone. Yeah. I mean, how extraordinary would that be? I mean, that's your alchemy. That's your, you Mm. know, turning Mm. one substance into another. You know, turning something from solid to liquid and then back to solid again. And making something that could do nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It really is a magical thing. Absolutely. I still haven't a clue. Oh, I don't know. It's just about handle a bit of wood, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, place names. There, I'm just thinking, even locally, locally, Glengevlin mm. mm. and near the Shannon Park. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's this. There's quite a lot of that that reference, particularly in this area. Yeah. And of course, he he persists. I mean, Govnu persists in one very special form in folktale, doesn't yes. he? Yeah. We have the Gabon Sare. Um, now, this is kind of, it kind of mixes a couple of them because Sare is the term that's used for what Luchta does. Mm-hmm. You know, again, Sare, Kerd, they can all be seen as general words for craft. Sare tends to be associated with sort of construction. So Sare is freeman, craftsman. It literally means freeman, yeah. Um, but uh, it's it tends to be that sort of crafting professional of that so, kind. So Gabon is kind of like a diminutive form for Govnu. You know, yeah. Gabon or Govon. Um so the Gabon Sayre is this, it's both a character and uh, almost like an honorary title. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, there was a if there was a following of the Gabon Sayre, which was our equivalent to the Masons. Mm-hmm. And it became sort of connected as well with a figure called St. Gubbon, who was supposed to have been a church builder. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is indeed, I think, the mark... There's a Saint Gobbin too, isn't there? Yeah, that's the Saint Gobbin. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, exactly. That's the same yeah. one. Yeah, and there's a couple of kill gobbins around yeah. the place. Uh, there's two that I know of, one of which is in Carlo. He's known as an architect. Yeah, exactly. An architect of churches. Yeah, yeah. A magically yeah. wonderful architect. Yeah, but it, again, it's like having that sort of patronage of the, of the Masons, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way. And he even has this very curious symbol, which I really don't understand, of a cat with two tails. Mm-hmm. And you find this inscription on churches that are supposed oh, to be I... built by Gabon Sir. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's all this wonderful, obviously very live tradition, but that is a, a bit mysterious, did, you know. Did you mention he was connected with Sweeney as well? Yeah, this, this, these are two parishes that I know of, which are centred around churches called Kilgubbin, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that's, you know, the Church of Gabon. Mm. Uh, one of them is in, now, I, I can be corrected on this, I, I think it's County Carlo, wherever Mullins, mm. St Mullins is, wherever St Mulling was supposed to have been. And uh, St Mulling is the one to whom Swift Nagelt Mad Sweeney tells his tale. So there's, and that's one Kilgubbin over on that side of the country. Then down in the Dingle Peninsula, 
uh, right beside Glanagelt, which is the, the Valley of the Mad People, and at the foot of Carcanry, which is where Curio Macdara had his home, uh, there's another little parish called Kilgubbin. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to discount the idea that Glanagelt there was associated specifically with Swivnagelt, with Mad Sweeney, mm. until I discovered this Kilgubbin connection. So there is a link? There is. Again, I don't know what it is. But there is a link there between these kind of Gubon Sarah places and, and Swivna and his madness, yeah, you know? Yeah, that, so that, that's something to look at sometimes. It is, yeah. And, of course, you know, they're, they're, when he gets down into folktale, yeah. um, such books as like The Wondersmith and His Son, which is... Um, Ella, Young Ella Young put together, yeah. And she wrote those in America. But they're beautiful little tellings of the folktales mm. of the... She calls him the Gubon Sarah. Yeah. Um which I presume or Wondersmith, yeah, Wondersmith. It's, it's, the, it's the same character as Gabon Sarah, yeah, Gavon, Gabon. But interestingly enough, I'll, I'll I'll put a couple of those stories, um, actually not from that book, from another one, but mm. a couple of ones that are in the um, public domain, public domain, onto the site because they're yeah. beautiful little stories. Oh, they're fantastic. There's, there's one about uh, how the how the smith shortened the road. Oh, uh, how he got his son to shorten, to shorten the road. Yeah. Well, interesting. They're all about the smith and his son. Yeah. And uh, in, the, but when you look at the stories, they have elements of Moitoro. Oh, yeah. They have to go off to Balor's Isle yeah, and yeah. Uh, rescue things and all sorts and, yeah, of things. Yeah, yeah. But um, they're all, they're, in some ways, they're not about Govno. They're about the Dagda and Ongus. Yeah, and the, the, the folk tales will continuously reference the tales of Dagda and Oingus. Mm-hmm. Like when um, the, the Gabon's heir wants his son to shorten the road and the son finally, you know, his clever wife tells him that this means you tell a story in order mm-hmm. to shorten the road. And the story he tells is how, the how yeah. Oingus got the boyne from yeah. the Dagda. Um, and, and they go off to rescue the Cauldron of Abundance yeah, from Balor. Exactly, and so yeah. Forth. So it's, uh, but yeah, what they're doing is very much more like the stories of Dagda and Oingus, where it's a father mm. and son helping each other out, sometimes using trickery or sophistry. Oh, it's almost always sophistry. Yeah, It's yeah. literalism again. Yeah, yeah, and double meanings in words. And exactly like, what we were talking about when we were discussing the humour of the Dagda yes. last, last time. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, now it comes back to me, in the first story, mm. they go off... Uh, he sends his son off to do to, to fulfil a, a quest. Yes, yes. Um, and he actually finds himself in the house of the Dagda. Yeah. And it's Oingus who tells him what to do. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's constantly re-referencing and yeah. referencing. So it's this kind of very curious doubleness whereby, you know, by the Gabon Sayer and his son kind of constantly referencing the Dagda and Oingus, they're disguising the fact that in a way they are the Dagda and Oingus. Mm-hmm. You know? But they're also, I mean, as if this character, mm. the, uh, the Gabon Sayer, <laughs> Sayer or, or, you know, whoever, yeah. I'm, I'm just using Ella Young's pronunciation yeah. there. It is Govnu, Lokta, Kretna. Yeah, and uh, it is also uh, Dogda and Angus. Yeah, who we've been talked about the Dogda as the builder. Yeah, yeah. and uh, the builder of the foundations. Mm, and mm. you've got Govnu, who you know these yeah, craftsmen forging. do the builder. Yeah, it's definitely Lukter is there. Still. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't include the Inkeert. It doesn't include the kind of the the health and wellness that comes with good agriculture. Now that's seen as it's with, gone into a different part. Yeah, exactly. It? Yeah, so that's sort of something that isn't covered yeah. by the the tradition of the Gavon. And so it goes on and survives. It yeah. comes right down to the current, present time. Yeah. And in fact, um, when I was 
talking you know i i do a fair number of projects with uh, schools and mm. libraries and and bringing older people in the community yeah. to share stories with the uh, younger children mm. we create projects together and this leads me to make a great use of the 1937-38 folklore commission yeah. which maybe i'll put a bit about on the mm. on the blog that would be an interesting one to look at mm-hmm. um but we Hearing people talk about the smithy or mm. the forge, mm. call it the forge because it is yeah. years ago. Back in thirty-seven, for mm. instance, it was one of the questions that children were asked to go home and talk to mm. parents and grandparents about mm. was, "Is there a forge in your area?" Yes. Now, yeah. when I talk to children today, they don't know what a forge is. Yeah, so, if yeah. I say how many forges are there, they go, "Uh." Yeah. Is there how many garages in your community? Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't. Okay, technically we're talking about technology which yeah. has been replaced by the mechanic, mm. but it was a very, very different place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in Lanesborough, my... Mm. Um, the, the, the you know the, the the forge was really just across the road mm. and people would gather in the forge they exactly. tell stories the yeah. men would meet and chat in yeah. the forge yeah um the, the the it had always had a source of water yes nearby the pump was always close by yeah because the water was absolutely essential mm. to the process to the process yeah, of, yeah. of um, working with iron yeah and so they would there would always be fresh water there mm. there would be warmth there yeah. and this is the place where all the men gathered and stories were told yeah. and yeah. it was a, funny enough, the tailors was another place where this oh, happened yeah, yeah. with children and uh, yeah. somewhere that you would somewhere you'd spend go to time. Chat. Yeah, yeah. But the forge was really, really important. Yeah. Deals were made in the forge. Yeah. Oh yes. And yeah. you could say it was because of the water and, mm. the, and the the warmth above all yeah, yeah. winter days. But it, I think there's more to it. Yeah. Well, again, you know what? What uh, maybe sort of more recent communities might be more familiar with the blacksmith or the farrier. Mm-hmm. You know, and again. You can now be just a farrier, if you like. You don't, well, it's talk, not, it's yeah. another specialisation. But that the blacksmith was able to keep a horse so calm that he could nail iron onto its feet. Yeah. You know, and anyone who knows about horses knows what <laughs> a technique and what a skill that is. You're absolutely right. I should have... Uh, that, that's one thing I forgot when I was yeah. talking just now. It, by this point, we yeah. are talking about the blacksmith farrier. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. therefore, that's why deals are made. Mm-hmm. People would chat. Yeah. And the blacksmith had a knowledge. Yeah. Even Knew 70 everything years that was ago. Yeah. A, he heard all the gossip. Yeah, yeah. He could pass it on. But he also had this knowledge which was essential mm. to the well-being of the community. Mm. And mm. we're talking here 60 years ago. If yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it's very, very recent. I mean, I could point out to you on the Dublin Road in Nina, I could point out to you exactly the building where the forge was, where my grandmother got her cob shod when she mm-hmm. was going on her rounds as a GP, as a country GP. And the house, certainly when I used to pass it on the road to Kerry, it still had a great big horseshoe kind yeah. of, uh, that was around the opening. So if you pass that on the Dublin Road in Nina, heading into town, um, then that's where the blacksmith yeah. used I to mean, be. The only farrier I've mm. known in recent years has a had a little van and would carry his portable yeah. equipment round from he'd go to the horses yeah, exactly yeah but of course that wouldn't have been possible no no because again because of ago. needing the 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 heat of the forge and you're basically yeah. making the shoes these days you get a sort of a pre made and you kind of of a particular size and then it's it's kind of welded not welded you know heated up just yeah. and put onto the the horse's hoof you know far more about that than me. <laughs> i might know what to do with the motorbike but i wouldn't know what to do with the horse well, no. <laughs> <laughs> motorbikes don't turn around and kick you <laughs> thankfully no there was a time in my life when if i walked behind a car that was you know sort of idling or whatever i would actually put my hand on the bumper to let it know that i was there that's what you do <laughs> when you're walking behind a horse 
that it doesn't kick okay, in. Okay, you can tell one of us comes from a background of bikes and one of us comes from a background of horses. <laughs> which is which, I wonder. But we, we were talking before about, you know, who, what are the trades that are essential to keeping a rural community running? Well, you need your doctor. Exactly. You need your mechanic. Absolutely. You need your plumber. Yeah, electrician. Your, electrician. your computer engineer. These days, yeah. Yeah, if you've got all those, you're pretty well okay. Then you've Maybe got a sustainable rural community. And they're the ones who get the best deals out of let's... Exactly, yeah, local economy systems, yeah. Mm. And home brewers are the other ones there, but yeah, well, let's that's not go into that. technology. Exactly. Well, yeah. it's been an interesting uh, sort of walk through yeah. the, the text, looking at the technology and mm. the craftsmen. And mm. I think what we've just really felt is that they really are at the heart of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're, they're what define the two of Annan. It's these people of craft. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so next week we'll be going on to... Um, Oh, I don't know the the after the battle, the aftermath, mm. and the Morrigan's view. Yes, yeah, and what what she sees and how she tells it. Yeah, and uh, all the the stuff that happens to complete, mm. and as it were, the, uh, allow her and the Dagda to set the default button. Yeah, and yeah. Restore order. Start again. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Ogilvy Nanagas. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>